Hey, hello friends, and welcome to this message which is specially handpicked to minister to you and to bless you. I am Pastor Lincoln Seranga, Senior Pastor here at Liberty Christian Fellowship in London. My passion is the pursuit of 100% answered prayer. If that sounds like a good subject to you, why don't you follow me at lincolnseranga.com and also find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and other social media where you will be able to find other messages as well as find access to short courses, coaching opportunities, and more. God bless you as you listen to this message. Well, friends, I want to come into the Word right now. Um, I just want to bring God's Word. We have been looking at um, a series on the sovereignty of God. I hope it's blessing. I thought it would be constrained to Fridays, but uh, <laughs> uh, it's been difficult for my heart to move away from the subject. And so uh, permit me today to continue uh, on the subject I promised on Friday that I woke up and I'd written down all these verses on the sovereignty of God. And uh, one of them uh, really struck my heart and left me perplexed. I thought, how can the Bible say that? So today I want us to talk about the sovereignty of God in leadership. Can we pray that God will open our hearts and minds? Father, we pray that you continue to school us as we learn uh, your sovereign rule on earth. And we ask that even today, as you put it on my heart, you give me the words to articulate what you have shown me and that uh, uh, you give people understanding uh, to comprehend and embrace the things that you are teaching us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, I want to make a few statements before I read this verse. Um, let me make two statements which, which struck me and I wrote them down. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes, let me start again. Jesus said, uh, when the disciples asked him, teach us to pray, he said, pray this way, our Father who art in heaven. So prayer is driven by a sense of understanding we have a fatherhood over us. That fatherhood is not in Dalich, it is not in London, it is not in Denmark, it is in heaven. His fatherhood is in heaven. So heaven is what inspires prayer. The atmosphere of heaven, the glory of heaven, the possibilities of heaven, to me is what under under underrides, under under undergirds my spiritual passion. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let's first acknowledge you are up there, we hallow you. Hallowed be thy name. And then he goes to your kingdom come. This invitation for this rule that is in heaven, this atmosphere, this governance, this dominion that is in heaven. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May earth, may earth increasingly, here and there, in my life, in the opportunities that I go through and the challenges I go through in my life, inner life, in my mind life, in my experience, in my body, may what is going on in heaven touch my body. 
your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Provide for our needs. The whole inspiration of heaven. We are, uh, our prayer lives, our worship lives are driven by a passion to see more of what God looks like revealed in our in and through our lives. Sometimes, this is a statement I wanted to make that I woke up today with. Sometimes we are driven and very keen to call in the kingdom of God into our lives, into our environment. Sometimes the only resolution is the sovereignty of God. Sometimes, um, after pushing and pushing, God, we want to see healing, or God, we want to see deliverance, or God, cancel this debt in two, two days. <laughs> and after it's all said and done, we go back and rest in the sovereignty of God. The fact that even though we may suffer, even though we may continue to have an unresolved problem, God is still on the throne and he rules and is still outworking his purpose. Yeah, so sometimes our kingdom pursuit is met with a sovereign response. It does not mean God is withholding. That's because there are multiple facets, multiple factors that determine the outcomes of our lives. There are multiplicities. And until Jesus establishes his kingdom in every facet, then my life can fully experience the glory of God. I was talking about... Um, Growing up in my mother country, Uganda, um, uh, the political problems of the country, the economic problems of the country set a general atmosphere which determines individual circumstances. So I cannot pray for a full manifestation of the glory of God in my personal life when nationally, economically, uh, socially, in every other way, there is degradation and breakdown. There are so many facets there. And again, we, we touch the reality that um, sometimes um, there's just too many facets. Uh, for example, unity, agreement. When, a, when a two, two or three agree on a matter, it shall be done, Jesus said. Sometimes there's disagreement. Uh, sometimes it's timing. So I, I said on Friday five things I want to remind you. Five elements that I feel uh, are involved in the outworkings of the sovereignty of God. Five elements. Number one, God. God is number one. His power, his omnipotence, his omniscience, his immutability. God, if it was just God on his own, everything would be perfect. Mm. And the, secondly, his purpose, his dream. <laughs> and you think God had a dream. God has dreams. He, it was not enough for him to sit as God and, and just be by himself eternally, immutably powerful and omniscient and omnipotent. He had to create he stepped out and created because he had purposes and dreams. So the purposes of God, his eternal purposes, the things that he has planned and scheduled to happen in the counsel of his own will, he did not take a vote. The purposes of God, that's the second element. God, number two, his purposes. Number three, uh, the presence of free will in the earth. The fact that he decided to create not robots, but uh, uh, worshippers. And lovers. Immediately that meant people had to choose. And so the presence of free will creates a third ingredient in his domain, in his rulership, because now he has to deal with free will. The freedom we have to choose him or not, to choose a path or reject him or obey him, that's a key part 
over how the sovereignty of God in the earth operates. Number four, the presence of evil. Presence of evil. Because free will could have just remained free will in obedience, but free will became rebellion and then evil comes in. So the fourth ingredient is evil. And finally, we have time. Time. Time is the canvas. Time is the continuum across which this rule is expressed and displayed. The continuum of time. And this is so important. We cannot limit everything to God's omnipotence, number one. We can't just say God is omnipotent, therefore he's sovereign. No, it comes down and cascades through these realities. His purpose says his free will, our free will, presence of evil, and time, time, time. He makes all things beautiful in his time. And that's one of the most powerful statements of sovereignty, that in the process of time, he makes all things beautiful. Now I want to read the verse that uh, we, we, we're going to spring from. Proverbs 21 and verse 1. The king's heart... Uh, let me make sure I give uh, you guys an opportunity to see that um, uh, uh, square displayed right here. The king's heart... It's right there anyway behind me, so I don't need to insert this thing. The Lord's hand, hmm? What version is that? Can we have, um, oh, that's NIV. In, that's interesting. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. <laughs> what a powerful statement. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. I thought, what are you talking about? How do you tackle this verse? You know, one of the challenges we have as believers is, is in engaging the scriptures and finding what God was saying and the whole process of interpretation. And as you've seen in some of our exchanges, there can be so many different nuances and, and um, different interpretations. How in the world do you interpret this? Now, there are some people whose interpretation of the sovereignty of God, as you may have heard, I, I probably do not agree at all in the sense in which the sovereignty of God uh, cancels out um, free will. So here's another verse to tackle. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. What in the world is Solomon saying? And this is written by a king. It's written by King Solomon, king of Israel. But I think he's writing from a sense of testimony. He was aware that as a king, Several times, again and again, he felt the sense in which God uh, uh, had a grip on his heart. That his hand was upon him and he was directing him as a king in Israel. That cannot be said of many kings in Israel. And many kings were rebellious and stubborn and unteachable. And the Lord was displeased with them and the Lord judged them. <laughs> So how then do we <laughs> interpret this verse? Well, some, some simply take that to say, that's enough. That means God is in charge of the whole political spectrum. Whatever is going on, God is doing it directly because he's sovereign. So no, 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 no. I think we need to be more elegant than that. We need to be challenged that God has thrown to us here a curved ball. And all oh my days, how do we interpret it? Now, there's a version you, pr you presented earlier. Was it NIV? Can you show us what NIV says? And this is, again, 
interpreters, translators rather, wrestling to find the, 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 what the, the spirit of the verse is. In the Lord's hand, the king's heart is a stream of water that he channels towards all who please him. Oh, wow. <laughs> In the Lord's hand, the king's heart is a stream of water uh, that he channels toward all who please him. I have a couple other translations here. The International Standard Version, which I don't think Marvin has. It says, a king's heart is a water stream that the Lord controls. He directs it wherever he pleases. So that's one spectrum of it, uh, where um, the writer seems to be saying that God has total control over the heart of the king. God has total control over the heart of the king. That's one aspect that I personally think hmm, has gone a little too far on one side. Does God have total control over the heart of the king? Now, by the way, king here um, can also go to mean uh, leaders yeah, because not, not every nation now is led by a king. But the point that Solomon is, is saying, there's something about God and leaders, leaders of the earth. And I'm, 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 I'm wanting to make a point, friends. Please follow me. There's something about God and the heart of the king, the hearts of leaders. Uh, another translation, which is called Young's Literal Translation, swings it to the other side. It says, rivulets of water or rivers of water. Hmm? Rivulets of water is the heart of a king in the hand of Jehovah. And the sense there, the, the interpretation can be that um, when a king gives their heart to the Lord, when a king, king's heart is in God's hand, he will direct it. Wherever he pleases, he will incline it. I feel it's, it's a complicated verse that opens up a subject. I want to present to you uh, some of my thoughts and reflections uh, about this. Number one, so let's walk together, friends. Number one, let's go back to the realization God is a king. Let's start there. Kingship is not primarily a human virtue. Kingship is first and foremost a divine attribute. The governance of spheres, the governance of peoples is a supernatural divine uh, attribute which God then delegates and uh, manifests in the created realm by emerging leaders, by emerging political leaders, by emerging uh, church leaders, by emerging uh, community leaders. Leadership is a divine function first and foremost. God is a king. By virtue of that, as we shall see, by virtue of that, as we shall see, there are implications about leadership that go very deep, which is what this verse is trying to capture. So allow me to continue and read you another statement. God is a king and models leadership to us, first and foremost in the Godhead, uh, Father God being the first person of the, of the, of the Trinity, uh, is, is, the, is the king. You want to call him the king of the Trinity. He is the, the lead of the Trinity, and the others submit to him. And submission uh, is also modeled for us in the Trinity. So if God submits 
the, the, father, the son submits to the, to the father, and the spirit submits to the son. That means submission is also first and foremost a divine attribute. So when God turns to us and says, submit to one another, he's not telling us something he has not practiced within himself as the Godhead. Amen. Number two, leadership and headship are principles ordained by God. Now, this is huge. Leadership and headship are ordinances of God. These are principles that God has ordained to govern the earth sphere. The earth, uh, not even just human beings. Go to any, any um, species uh, that are animate. Go to the ants. Go to the bees. Go to the wasps. <laughs> go to the horses. All these um, beings have structures of leadership. It is an order. It's an ordinance of God that communal groups of beings must have the principle of headship manifesting. There's got to be people that are ruling and leading in communities. Yeah, that's a big one. It is a God ordinance. Let me tell you, until a community resolves its attitudes towards leaders, it can't go far. I will say that again. Until communities resolve their attitude towards leaders, those communities are in defiance of, this, of a sovereign ordinance. Yes, and until you as an individual make space in your heart for leaders, you are at war with God himself. You are at war with an eternal principle. Because God ordained it, it is irreversible, it shall always abide. Now, there are all types of people in the earth. There are people who delight in leadership. There are people who feel their assignment in life is to torment leaders <laughs> and to terrorize them. There are some people who just hate leadership, hates anything that looks like leadership. There are people who just want to self-lead, they want to self-govern and will Fight anything that looks like a leader. Uh, how are you doing down there? Are we still mm. friends? <laughs> May God give us a heart that celebrates and honors this ordinance. It's an ordinance of God's sovereignty. That there must be leaders. And at any one point, you must be answerable to somebody. And I'm not talking about I answer online to, uh, to T.D. Jakes. Or I answer online to Joyce Meyer, or I don't know who your, your leaders are in the earth. <laughs> you need to be answerable within the immediate sphere of your function to people that God has ordained to be leaders over you because it's a divine edict. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So God gives leaders to families by way, and we shall see by way of, of um, family structures, families, communities, Society, nations, regions, continents. There are spheres of leadership everywhere. Business. Amen. Number three. God creates and gives leaders to communities. God, in creation, ordains that there are structures of leadership from the point of creation. There are people who, has, who are sent into the earth to lead the earth. People with great leadership skills. Uh, there's been in America 
a return to Martin Luther King's um, memorial and to stand behind that huge uh, uh, sculpture of him, that great, great, great man in terms of um, his campaign against, um, uh, you know, the, the, the whole white supremacy and the, the, the breaking of, of, the, of the yoke uh, of, of um, uh, people of color. Martin Luther King was a mighty leader. There are people whose leadership um, gift and status was so significant that they shaped entire history for the entire world. So there are struck their levels and struck stratas of, of, of leadership potential and power. And some people lead in smaller ways, some lead in greater ways. Key point is this God is faithful at creation to ensure that not everybody is a Martin Luther King. <laughs> There's no need. Not everybody has to be a Martin Luther King. Not everybody has to be presidential in their capacity that you lead a nation. But there's a structure of leadership. God is faithful to send leadership into communities. There is no community without leaders. And the challenge of a community is to find its leaders. And to honor them, to raise them up, to identify them, to lift them up. Uh, the challenge of a, of, a, of a leader to hear, to listen to their own heart and know the call to leadership. And I tell you, friends, someone may not know the Lord, but they have the call and grace of God to lead. And it is of God. It is of God. Because it's a slightly different thing from salvation. And by God agreeing to continue the earth, he should have, must have, also agreed that he will faithfully send leaders into the earth. So, the Bible shows that God gives us leaders. God gives us leaders. And I want to, to go into that a bit deeper. Sorry, I keep losing myself here. Amen. Amen and amen. God creates and gives leaders uh, to communities. I tell you, friends, there's nothing as beautiful as finding a leader. I tell you, as a pastor who has been leading a church for, uh, for, for several decades now, the delight of finding a leader. I'm feeling, phew, we found a leader. <laughs> leader over young people, a leader musically, a leader uh, in small groups, a leader in, in, in care, a pastor, someone leading young people, the joy, the beauty of the emergence of a leader. Mm -hmm. So God gives us leaders, but you know, uh, I need to say this now, they are never perfect. Leaders are never perfect. They come with their flaws. They come with their challenges, but God is faithful to send them. And then he stands back and watches what that community does with them. He stands back and watches what that community does with them. Because as I said before, unless a community learns to celebrate leadership and receive it with its flaws and shortcomings, it cannot do much. Now, remember Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you kill the prophets. You crucify everyone I send to you. You will not hear from me again until you learn to say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Mm -hmm. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He says, finally, um, judgment is coming on you. And this was spoken by messianic lips. The one who came to, to die and save the world says to Jerusalem, your time's up. After this, after I die and I rise, there's going to be a pillaging of this city. 
No stone will be left on top of a stone because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. You did not recognize. That was not kingdom of God. That was sovereignty of God. Because Jerusalem was a leader killer. They were killers of prophets. Killers of um, those that God sends to lead. I pray that God will speak to you. Because today I really feel God needs to do a work in our hearts as we go through these next difficult years, as we recover from a pandemic. We need to check our hearts and ensure we are working under the sovereignty of God if we are to stand a chance of drawing down on his kingdom. If we mishandle sovereignty, we are immediately fired, (laughs) suspended, from making any claim on the kingdom of God. Do you understand me? Do you hear me, friends? Because kingdom is the next level up. If we do not honor the sovereignty of God, we cannot enjoy the kingdom of God. So, John 13, 20, I want to read. Most assuredly, I say to you, Jesus said, He who receives whoever I send receives me. This is John 13 and verse 20. Most assuredly, I say to you, He who receives Whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Jesus is showing a cascade here of honor that as he's sending the disciples, he's telling them, look, you're going as you, but whoever receives you is receiving me. And whoever receiving me is receiving my father. It's a cascade because leadership is a principle of delegated authority. And when we do not receive the people that God sends us, hmm? we are actually spitting in God's face. We are spitting in God's face. And so, God sends us leaders. He's faithful to do that. And we are to honor them. We are to submit to them. We are to serve them. We are to work with them. The Bible says several things. I didn't want to go too deep into that because it will take me into too much detail. But we have to honor them, identify them, honor them, submit to them, obey them. The Bible says obey your leaders, submit to your leaders, serve your leaders. All those are Bible exhortations I don't have to go into. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. Now this is talking about the church specifically. So church is God's institution in the earth. Besides the family, which again is of God, God institutes the church. And even to the church, he's faithful to send leaders. And he says, he himself gave. Now, the the translation says, gave some to be. But actually, in the original translation, it says God gave some apostles, some prophets. I don't know whether there's a a translation that you have there that captures that sense. God gave some apostles, some prophets, The apostle is a gift to a community. The prophet is a gift to the community. The evangelist is a gift to the community. Pastor is a gift to the community. These are leadership gifts to the body. Hmm? Hmm. Yeah, he appointed some as, as apostles. So, friends, God is faithful to send us apostles. Apostles are strategic leaders. Prophets are inspirational leaders. Pastors are nurturing leaders. Evangelists are persuading leaders. And teachers are instructing leaders. 
Did you catch that? Did you catch that? I'll say it again. Apostles are strategic leaders. God ensures that a community has its strategic people. And we need to identify them and release them. And I'm talking even in the business world, we don't have to call them apostles, but they are people who are apostolic in their leadership. So apostolic people are strategic people. Pastoral people are nurturing people. These are people who are relationally sensitive. They are supportive. They are not. They may not be as strategic, but they are very nurturing. And they make our places warmer. Our communities, they make the, our communities warmer. Yeah, nurturing people. Uh, prophetic are inspiring people. These are inspiring, creative, spontaneous uh, listeners of God. But in the, in the general definition, they are inspiring people. And then... Um, or revelatory people. And then teachers are instructing people. These are instructing people, instructing leaders. And then evangelists are persuading people, persuading people. I think some of the best salesmen are evangelists really waiting, <laughs> waiting to, 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 to sell the gospel to people. So God is faithful to send leaders. Do we receive them? Do we recognize them? Do we embrace them? Do we celebrate them? Do we allow them to do their best and fail where they can't? And for us to celebrate them, rejoice over them. Now, this is critical because we, in doing that, you recognize the sovereignties of God in leaders. And again, I say, a community which crucifies and destroys its leaders can't go far because it's spitting in the very face of God Almighty. We need to allow our leaders space to grow and to do their part and to fail where they can't because they cannot be all around us. That's why God sends five types of leaders. And we stand together and celebrate that. So I'm moving on, friends. Moving on from the church. I want us to go to Israel and to just remember something there. God says to Israel, Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 15 God says this. He says, I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Again, the point I'm making, God gives us leaders. He gives us leaders. And that was a promise to Israel. Now, does that mean every leader that arose was good and brought instruction and knowledge to Israel? No. But God is saying, this is my commitment. One of the ways you see my blessing is I will send you shepherds. I will send you leaders. Do hmm? you have a, a translation that says, I will send you rulers or leaders? There's a one or two that uses that, that, that word leaders. I will send you leaders or I will send you rulers according to my heart. So David was a man after God's heart, but he wasn't meant to be the only man after God's heart. God's heart, a man, a shepherd, a leader after God's heart, is someone who is in alignment with God's heart. That's what it means. And God said, I want to do that all the time. To do that all the time for you. Yeah. And so, friends, <laughs> pastors, according to my heart, he says, yes. So, as these people come, we embrace them, we receive them. Now, can, can I go a little more specific here? God gives us parents. Now, again, this is sovereignty. Let's understand sovereignty. You do not choose your parents. You wake up and find out. That's a sovereignty matter. Uh, the argument may be that God creates us in himself and then creates us on earth through people. So spiritually, we are made of God 
physically, we are constructed biologically in the bodies of our parents. So, uh, created in heaven, spiritually packaged on earth through parenting. And that's very sovereign. Sometimes you feel, God, are you sure I was supposed to be born in this country? <laughs> I wish I was born in Zimbabwe. I wish I was born in uh, Ghana. I wish I was born in the UK. I wish I was white. You know, somebody was saying, I wish I was just white so I get over this persecution, you know. But there we surrender to his sovereignty. And sovereignty, you see, is not a waste basket. Sovereignty is not a waste basket where you throw everything you can't resolve. It is, it is a, it's a, it's a refuge you run to. <laughs> sovereignty is a refuge. And say, okay, things may be tough here, but there is a sovereign God who makes all things beautiful in his time. Yeah, so parents... And so God says, honor your father and mother. Why? In honoring them, you recognize the sovereignty of God at work in that. And they may not be honorable. They may not be respectable. They may have been the most abusive people. But you honor, you honor the orchestration. Remember, we said God takes the dirtiest events of our lives and turns them to music. Yeah. So honor your father and mother is not meant to say they are going to thrill you. Is saying, take the notes of their faulty parenting and turn them to God to make into music. Do not spit on your heritage, much as it may have been painful. Believe and turn it over to God. Husbands. <laughs> oh, my days. Husbands. Hmm? I was hearing a beautiful sermon by, by Pastor Martin, my girl. He was teaching his online quite a lot. I think he does a weekly thing. But he was talking about the, the amazing, the, the process of finding a, a spouse. Oh, my days. I remember those days when this woman became the cap captivation of my mind. She, has, she had always been there. Not always. She was there for several years. She was, she was there for several years, and I couldn't see her. Then one day my eyes went, pum. And the process that leads you there can never be found in a seminar. You cannot attend a seminar and walk out with a blueprint for who you will marry. I tell you, it is a sovereign process in which you do your part and leave the rest to God. It is very sovereign. And it is linked with identity and orchestration and guidance and the process that brings you to this moment of exchanging a ring and says, until death separates us. But then the challenge again with sovereignty, will you surrender to that sovereignty when the marriage becomes very difficult? Will you, will you seek to see that as part of this understanding when the head of your life, your husband, is, is short of what you expected, when he's not all that you wanted? So husbands... Wife says, wives submit to your husbands. Ah, he's not submittable to, there's no space under him, somebody said, <laughs> for me to get under. The guy hardly floats off the ground. <laughs> no, it's the sovereignty of God in, in, in finding your spouse. And Pastor Martin made a beautiful point. It's like entering a, a, a shop, a store. You've come to buy a pair of shoes. For me, the best shop to, to exemplify is Primark. Oh, my days. I hardly shop in that place. But you see, I enter there and I am overwhelmed. 
by the number of things that are displayed. And you walk into this crowded shop and walk out with one item. And it's like, did you know what you were coming exactly? No, you say, no, when I see it, I will know. <laughs> I see it, I will know. It's a kind of, of process which you cannot teach in a seminar. It is very supernatural. Their sovereignty is there. Hmm? Anyway, Jesus, help us to think, to understand. Now, let me go back to the point. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. Friends, I am convinced God orchestrates the leaderships of our lives. There's a sense in which God creates leaders and brings them into the earth. And as you walk through the earth, you gather your leaders. And many times you don't even know how you ended up with this leader in your life. Because when you try and put them through a calculator or through a tick box situation, it's not because they ticked every box. It's because there were sovereign processes that brought these leaders into your life. I look back over my life at the leaders and, and I took a moment to really reflect and think, God, I need to be more inclined to sovereignty in these areas of family, church, choosing your pastor and saying, this is my church. Is it because they were the best in the earth? Are you going to create a chart and mark how your pastor qualifies? Uh, or is it like getting married and then finding out, oh, he snores at night. Oh, he <laughs> he has weird feet when he takes off the shoes. We did. <laughs> and, and you're recognizing this and... Um, but you're already in this. You're already up to here in it. And then you're, I don't like his feet. You're too late. It was not a tick box situation. <laughs> There's sovereignty going on there. Oh, I better hurry. I hope you're hearing me, God's people. I hope you're hearing me. The sovereignty of God. So, um, civil leaders. I want to read a powerful verse that shows so the sovereignty of God in leadership, in establishing leadership. Romans 13, verse 1. My goodness, what a powerful scripture. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Let every soul be subject for, to governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. And think, whoa, wait a minute, Lord. Is Trump appointed by God? Is uh, what's you know, okay. <laughs> huh? Uh, is is Hitler appointed by God? Is that what this verse is actually saying? Let's read the verse two and see what it says. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Now you may have wondered why some time ago I brought the issue of the five judgments of God. There are some people who believe that uh, there is no more judgment. All the judgment was sent to Calvary. We are here to just reap blessings. Um, now this does not even talk necessarily of God himself opening heaven and coming to judge. You know, it talks about judgment as a principle that is at work in the earth. And that's why I said we need to redeem the word judgment. 
But judgment is about rulings, it's about consequences, it's about results uh, in tandem, in response, in reciprocation. So uh, there is something divine about leaderships. There is something sovereign about structures of leadership. Now Paul is writing to the Romans, is writing to God's people under the rule of Rome. Rome was an empire. It had so many injustices, you know. But Paul is trying to make a point, and it is a spiritual point. It's not a political a point he's trying to make. He's not even talking about the morals of, a, of an empire, and the Romans were short in many ways. He's talking about the structures of sovereignty upon which political operations work. Hmm? And so he's saying you need to be careful how you respond to authorities, even in their uh, weakness, in their failures, because these things are God-ordained. The function of authority in the earth is a God-ordained issue. Jesus, that's what the word ordinance there is saying. Yeah. So you need to ensure that when you are resisting an authority, you are not resisting God. You need to decipher this. You need to distill this in your spirit. Because uh, in, in total contrast, the, the gospel was preached against the rulings of the, uh, of the rulers of the, uh, the early church. Remember, they called them and whipped them and said, you are not to proclaim the name of Jesus. And they told them, you choose for yourself whether we shall obey you or God. <laughs> so you need to understand, this does not mean, Paul is not saying that we should align with every antichrist ruling, every um, edict that is uh, put out by the government and it is not, not in alignment to God. But God is saying, be careful that while you are militating against a particular party, or a particular law, you are not fighting ordinance behind, which is a little above morals. Because this is the problem. Like we fight bad parents. When people decide they're going to fight a government, whatever the way, you can become very unruly. You can become very indisciplined. If you miss the difference between feeling and sensing the hand of God in what's going on, if you miss that and just get caught up in human dynamics, uh, the, the apostle is warning us that we may find that we are coming under some kind of judgment because essentially we are insubmissive and not law-abiding because we miss the sovereignty of God behind the principles of government and civil leadership. Let's go to verse 3. I need to finish this. Now, I'm, 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 I hope I'm not going to too much. Uh, it says, For rulers are not a terror to good works but to evil. So rulers... And authorities are meant to administrate good, not evil. So when they become perpetrators of evil, then they've fallen out of that line of authority. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you'll have praise from the same. Next verse, verse 4. And it says, uh, for he is God's minister. Oh, man. Oh, man. The authority is God's minister for you, for good. Now, this here is not the minister in the church. It's the minister in society. God help us, friends, to, to align ourselves. And we, we find this when uh, the road authorities say it's 20 mph here. And in my heart, my heart is saying, no, it's 30. 
and I'm a child of God. I, I invoke the kingdom of God and, and I'm going to drive 30 and the Lord will blind the cameras. And God is saying, you fool, this comes under sovereignty. It doesn't come under kingdom. <laughs> this is a sovereign edict. Submit to the leaders uh, of, of what is just and what is godly and what is good in the earth. Yeah. Otherwise, you, you, you are under the ministry of the camera and you will be under the ministry of the police. <laughs> and uh, in some cases, correctional facilities step in and you are under arrest and you must serve the sentence. And you are saying, God, send your angels. God is saying, <laughs> mm, that's my minister right there. <laughs> that's my minister. You are out of line. You are out of order because you fail to understand the sovereignty of God in leadership. And that sometimes is civil leadership. Yeah. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also because of conscience. That's verse 5. For because of this, you also pay taxes for their God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to, 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 all, to all their due taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Again, the point is, friends, sometimes in fighting leaders, we are fighting God. Sometimes in fighting leaders, we are fighting God. We need to be careful. Now, of course, that needs balancing because sometimes God himself is fighting the leader. And that's where we need to find the balance. I need to bring this home. Uh, I want to, to talk about, um, for, again, we touched this earlier, we, uh, regarding Pharaoh. Pharaoh, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. God was opening my eyes to, 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 to show me that the truth of this. When God is making a leader, leaders, by their makeup, there is a handle on them for God. Now, have I put that in the right way? Leaders are accessible to God. Leaders are accessible to God. God somehow deals with leaders more than an ordinary person who is not leader. The greater your leadership grace, the greater access God has. And I'm saying, not saying that he will have that access, but he can access leaders in special ways. And that does not mean he violates their free will. And we saw that in the situation of Pharaoh, Genesis 41, God sent him a dream. God sent him a dream. This is Joseph's times. Remember, Joseph is in prison. God sends a dream to Pharaoh because he knows Joseph will interpret it. That is the sovereignty of God in leadership. God takes Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel chapter 2. God takes Nebuchadnezzar, sends him a dream, a troubling dream. And that dream summarizes history. It's the dream of the statue with the golden head and the silver body, and then it goes down to, to, to bronze and brass and iron. It was a summary of the history of the empires, and it was not a believer. It was not a Jew who dreamed that dream. God deposited into him, deposited it into him, because God has access to leaders sovereignly. That did not violate Nebuchadnezzar's will. 
but it shows you the glory of God in dealing with leaders. God showed Nebuchadnezzar a dream in the night. And then Joseph, because actually, I need to make the point, because of the presence of Joseph, God could do that to Nebuchadnezzar. Because of the presence of Daniel, God could send a dream to Nebuchadnezzar. When leaders are abandoned by the church, when leaders are not prayed for by the church, the Bible reminds us to pray for leaders. We are we are failing to play our part in God's orchestrations of our leaders. So we need to pray for Trump. We need to pray for Boris. We need to pray for Yoweri. We, but we need, we need a theology to inform that. We need to understand. However evil they can be, however confused they can be, God says the heart of the king is in his hand. And again, I feel... The difficulty is when the church abandons its station, that leaders lose track and begin to become a judgment to the very nation they are meant to be a blessing to. And as I come to that, I'm navigating towards the end. Remember Cyrus as well. Cyrus was a Gentile king. Isaiah 45, God declares before he even arrives. He said, that says the Lord to my anointed, to Cyrus. Whoa, Cyrus. Is he going to be anointed? He's not even a Jew. God says he's anointed to subdue nations, to lose the armor of kings, because Cyrus comes up as a, a favorable king towards the purposes of God. And again, it's God's dealings and access to leaders. God was showing me this to challenge you as God's people to pray for leaders. Pray for your husband. Pray for your pastors. Pray, uh, we need to pray, friends, for the people that God puts over us because he has access to them. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord and he can turn it this way and that way. I believe the better to understanding there is to understand God has access. Secondly, he has influence over the heart of a leader. So I thank God, looking back over my life, uh, visions of God I got as a child, Dealings that I have had with God because of my leadership status as a minister in the earth, there are accesses that God has had. If there's such a such a word exists, there is access God has had over me because of that, because of my leadership calling. I've had dreams, I've had encounters because God says, if I deal with this guy, he'll be a blessing in the earth. If I deal with this guy. You'll be a blessing in the earth. I'm speaking to leaders now. I'm speaking to you as a leader. Wake up. If you have a leadership gift, understand that there is a grace upon your life to meet with God because when God touches you, he's touching an entire community. When God touches you, my friend, my brother, my sister, he's touching an entire community, the grace of a leader. But I'm also speaking to everybody to understand, please understand when you are dealing with leaders, you could be touching the face of God in his sovereignty because God gives us leaders. So we need to be careful how we handle them. We need to be careful what we say about leaders. We need to be careful how we handle their weaknesses. We need to understand sometimes God sends us leaders as a judgment. And I close. Because the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar was sent as a judgment.
to the whole known world. You read that in Jeremiah 27. So bad leaders sometimes are a judgment. Are a judgment on a community. Because again, <laughs> um, that's what we read in Nebuchadnezzar 27.6. Can you show us Marvin 27.6, Jeremiah 27.6? God calls Nebuchadnezzar my servant. My servant Nebuchadnezzar. And what did Nebuchadnezzar do? He says, and now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. <laughs> and the beasts of the field, I have also given him to serve him. Now you need to watch the 300, that bloody, bloody movie, <laughs> and see Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had a platform, a moving platform carried by people. There were thousands of slaves under it carrying Nebuchadnezzar. A moving platform, which was about 10 meters by 10 meters, carried by slaves. God says he's my servant. Because this whole lot of nations had become so stubborn and unteachable and defiled, and at the head of it was Israel. They had become a rebellious, unteachable worshippers of idols. And God says, okay, I am going to unleash Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to allow Nebuchadnezzar, who was there as an evil king with the with the desire to conquer and said, I'm going to step back and permit this guy to bring a judgment across the whole known world. And God said, anyone who does not submit to Nebuchadnezzar, I will myself punish them. You read that in Jeremiah. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the sovereignty of God in human leaderships. And I want to ask you, please understand that God will give you leaders sometimes who are annoying to you. Because that is what he wants. God will even allow an unknowing husband in your life. Don't spit these things out. God will give you a slightly annoying boss or manager. And you ah, Father, I call the kingdom of God in. Kingdom come. And God is saying, yeah, kingdom is coming. But right now I'm working sovereignly. <laughs> I'm working sovereignly. And I want you to submit to this leader. I want you to serve this leader. I want you to listen to this leader. I want you to learn from this leader. Jesus, help me to finish this sermon. I am done. <laughs> My God. Are you hearing me, God's people? Are you hearing me, God's people? So, the sovereignty of God in leadership is recognizing, one, God is a leader. Number two, God sends leaders into the earth. Yeah. Number three, God expects us to honor these leaders, to submit to them, to serve them. Yeah. And God may move you, but it has to be God. Uh, many times we, we are seeking relief from what God has said. No, this is where I want you right now. I want you to make a covenant with this thing. And, and honor the king and pay your taxes and keep within the speed limit. I rebuke myself there. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm learning my 20 MPH. <laughs> so friends, I close my case here. Let me close by, by saying Acts 17 verse 26, last verse. And this one says it all. It says... Uh, let me wait for Marvin to show that. Uh, Acts 17, verse 26 and 27. Uh, when these words came to me, my heart, I was actually convicted. Because many times 
We just walk around and we complain. Oh, this president. Oh, this king. Oh, that this leader. Oh, that. And we just mumble, grumble. We criticize our pastors. We tear them down. We tear them down. We meet and tear things down because we refuse to be ruled. We refuse to be governed because we don't see God in it. We don't see God in it. And then we, we are confused. We think, where's God? God is saying, no, you dishonor my sovereignty as leaders. You do not honor. You do not obey leaders. You're unteachable. You do not submit. In fact, the, the order of this day is independence. Oh, you're my leader on the piece of paper. But I don't care what you think. I don't care what you teach. I don't care what you believe. I make up my own way of living. When you go and correct people, they, they say, who are you to correct me? You are not even my friend. <laughs> I don't have to be your friend. I am a leader that God put over you. And so you need to submit to the ordinance of God. Yeah? And understand that husband, that wife, that mother, rather, that king, that president, so I began to panic as a Ugandan and say, what does Museveni teach me about Uganda and God? Huh? So do we pray for his overflow, overthrow simply? Take him down, Lord. Bring another. Who? Which one? What do you understand? Do you understand that some of these leaders are judgments? They are judgments over, uh, I mean, uh, they, they could have started well, but the church itself is corrupt. And now you are criticizing a corrupt king? <laughs> Maybe he's an Obukadnezer. And God is calling for the church to wake up. He's looking for a Joseph. He's looking for a... He's looking for a Joseph. He's looking for... For someone to... to for a Daniel. Sorry, I may have given you a wrong quotation. Is that 1726? 1726. So it says, this is speaking of God, it says, He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. He has made from one blood. He's talking about Adam. Out of him comes all the nations to dwell on the earth. He has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. I'm thinking, wait a minute, Lord. The dwellings, the national, national uh, 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 boundaries of my nation were drawn by greedy, uh, what were they called? Colonizers, greedy colonizers who came to pillage Africa as an African man who came to steal, kill, and loot my, my, my continent. Yes, that is true. But God, God, this verse is crazy because it's saying, even in the midst of their greed and their pillaging, I retain sovereignty, says the Lord. I retain sovereignty. I refuse to surrender the destiny of your nations to the mistake of a colonial, colonial greedy, uh, power-seeking explorer who took a stroke of a pen and drew a random boundary and divided nations and tribes were split into and people groups. Some countries have never recovered from these boundaries that were drawn by the greedy fingers of, of exploiters who came to steal gold and to take minerals and to, to colonize. And God is saying that is history. But sovereignty? 
says, they are my boundaries. I take them over. I take them over. I take their greed and turn it round for my glory. Turn it round for my glory. So I have determined the boundaries of your doing. <laughs> this is madness. Complete madness. But that's our God. That's how big he is. He refuses men to be the final say of our destiny. He refuses um, the, the errors and the shortcomings of our leaders to become the architectural finality of our destiny. Look, listen, read, read, take it to the next verse. He says, he appointed these times and the boundaries for what? For what? Next verse 27. So that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. So the ultimate cause and, and, and purpose of God, wherever, whichever nation you fall into, is to seek the Lord. Whatever your geography has created. So that in whatever the mess is in that country, somehow, through your prayers, the hand of God may lay hold of that president and turn it this way and that way. I speak that over my nation, Uganda. Speak that over your nation. I don't know what your nation is, wherever you are logging in from. Somehow, may the church rise up and seek the Lord in the geographical scenarios of the presidential scenarios and the political issues of that country. And may the sovereignty of God, the sovereign rule of heaven, break into those environments. Because many times we feel, kingdom come, kingdom come. We want the kingdom to come to Kampala. We want the kingdom to come to, to Abuja. That God is saying, before you invoke kingdom, Surrender to sovereignty and understand that there are things I am dealing with in that country concerning what is done. Jesus, I am done. I don't know whether I've confused God, God's people. <laughs> oh, I see some beautiful postings there. We're coming to an end right here. I want to sell out for a moment. Please take a moment. Take a moment. And look at the, at the leaderships around you right now. Which leadership is God pointing at right now? Which leadership is he? And before you invoke kingdom, are you ready to surrender to sovereignty? Before you invoke, God, I want peace in this home. Will you submit to the sufferings of that home? And the judgments? that scenario. Father, we submit right here in Jesus' name. We submit to the reality that we are imperfect leaders leading imperfect followers and they are imperfect followers following imperfect leaders. We have governments that are, that are exploitive. We have leaders who are insane <laughs> and we just need some kind of order. Help your children to understand and to discern what you are saying and doing in our environments, in our churches, in our homes, in our uh, civil society, in our nations, in our world, we ask that you help us to become so sovereignly submitted that we may see even kingdom breaking. That's our prayer. We surrender to your governance. We surrender to your goodness. We honor you because you're good. Your mercy endures forever. Please pray for your mother country. Pray from a sovereignty point of view. I think most of us need to just repent because 
the only testimony that our countries show is that there's some level of disfavor, level of judgment. Yeah, it's been such an uprising in America against President Trump. We're thinking maybe it's God's donation to that country. Yeah, maybe it's the donation of God to that country for such a time as this. I don't know what your own country is, but may we repent under these canopies. May we submit, may we align, may we pray. May we pray within those scenarios that his will and purpose may come through. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.